do you fear? What is like your greatest fear? You know, I, I actually got to admit, I think as a kid, I was quite a, quite a wuss. Um, I was deeply afraid of like the dark and like uh, ghosts and, and, and stuff like that for, for quite a long time. And uh, like even, even to this day, I won't watch horror movies. I mean, I've watched them before. They were, they were just a, it was a bad idea. So I'm, I'm never going to watch horror movies again. Not even like those lousy American ones, which are supposedly not scary because they actually are scary. And, and, and so like horror, horror is not my thing. But, but you know, when I think about it further, um, I, wouldn't definitely, I definitely wouldn't call those type of things like my greatest fears. Because uh, I realized that my fears sort of evolve over time as I get older. And I think by the time I hit primary school, you know, and I think about it, I was really terrified of some of my teachers. Um, when, I, when I think about it from hindsight, I have no idea why. Because um, there were really, really small things and the extent to which I was like afraid of getting punished by my teachers just does not make um, any sense. I mean, what's the worst that they could have done, right? Um, but uh, I can say that now. Um, but um, yeah, and then as you get older, and I think now in, at my age, when you talk to people my age, or maybe even some of you, about like what your fears are, people will start talking about like the future and like you know, um, can I can I can I provide for myself ten to twenty years from now? What's society gonna be like when when my kids grow up and 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 things like that? And and these and these. This makes you realize that really, yeah, fear takes many forms. But what is in common is that it, our fears influence our actions. You know, from, like I said, the type of movies that we watch to how we interact with our peers in school. And, and also, like, you know, like yesterday, how you vote in elections. Your fears do sort of come into all these things. And, and so the question is, is fear bad? And I believe that's not always the case. I believe that there is a good type of fear and um, there's a bad type of fear. And part of what I want to look at today, um, I'll try to get us to there, is to really look at what this is all about and what is the type of fear um, that, that we should have and, and what is the fear that we shouldn't have. And X5, when we look at it, it actually consists of two stories. And, and these, at first glance, these two stories might not seem linked. So, is this working? Ah. The first story is of a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. Did I spell it correctly? I think I did, right? Yes. Um, and, and in your CG Bible study last week, you might have looked at Acts 4, the last part of it, 36 and 37, which talks about Barnabas. It introduces to the figure of Barnabas. And it says, you know, does Joseph, who was also called the, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas is offered to us as a positive example in Acts 4, of how the church members were living generously and, and giving to one another and taking care of those in need. Now, we are then introduced immediately to Ananias and Sapphira, and their actions are in direct contrast to what Barnabas did. Because like Barnabas, yeah, they did sell a piece of property, but instead of giving the proceeds, that means the, what they earned from that property to the church, 
fully, they kept some of it for themselves and only gave part of it to the church. Now, what is interesting is that ordinarily, it seems that that would not have been an issue. Because when you look at verse 4 in Acts 5, Acts 5 verse 4, Peter says to Ananias, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? And, and I think quite a few people have said that this suggests that, you know, actually Ananias, the church wasn't forcing Ananias to give any money. Um, he was free to, do with what he, free to do what he wanted with that property, how much he wanted to keep for himself and how much he wants to give. But what was the problem is that Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. They told an untruth because verse 4 tells us that and it says, um, Peter says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. So we know that Ananias lied. And, and how is it that he lied? Well, some people speculate that, look, what, what actually happened was that Ananias and Sephira sort of promised the church or, or committed to give the entire proceeds to the church. And then they sort of like, they don't want to, so they, they kept a bit for themselves. I mean, that's quite a plausible explanation, um, but we can't be sure. All we know is that there was some dishonesty in their action, and, and they lied about what they received and, and what they were giving. And what happens next is pretty unique, um, at least for the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead for their sin. For their lie, they are killed by God. And, and that is something we don't see that much, to be honest, in the New Testament. Very serious punishment or severe punishment um, for sin. And, and so we know that they are punished for their death. Now, I, I don't know how you feel about this. Um, I'll try to talk a bit about it later. Some of you might find it a bit harsh or you might ask, why was there such a serious punishment? Um, but I'll try to talk about that a bit later. But what I, want, what I don't want is for us to get caught up in that and, and miss the next part, which I think is the third important sort of fact from this whole account. And that is the reaction of the church. Because when, when this happened, the Bible records for us that a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. That's in verse 11. And I think earlier on as well, maybe in verse 5, I think, there was, there was also a mention of that. And so there was this great fear. And that's really what happened with this story. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied, they were punished with death, and then great fear came upon the church. So that's the first story. Now let's go to the next one. And the next one has to, uh, um, okay, my, my ordering was wrong, but it has to do with the apostles. And, and what happened is here is that the apostles, we read, were going and, and sort of healing the sick, they're doing miracles, they're doing signs and wonders, and they were teaching in the name of uh, Jesus. And, and you know, in chapters 3 and 4, we had already seen how Peter and John, they had done that, they had healed a, a lame man, and, and they had been taken to task by the authorities, they had been born, brought before the, the Sanhedrin, and, and they were told not to do that again. But yet, here are the apostles going back to Solomon's portico, the very place they were, Peter and John had been caught already, and, and doing the same thing over and over again. And true enough, soon they're caught again. They're thrown in prison, but God delivers them. He sends an angel to, to unlock the prison doors. And then at God's command, they go again and continue teaching at the temple. And, and finally, they, they're led before the Sanhedrin again. And, 
and you know, so what we see here is, is the apostles constantly taught teaching in the name of Jesus in spite of opposition. And, and as they are born before the Sanhedrin, the, they, they give an explanation again, just like Peter did. And, 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 uh, and, uh, And the, and, the, and the leaders, they wanted to eventually to kill him, kill them, sorry. And, but what, what sort of saved them is one of their members, uh, one of the members of the Sanhedrin, this guy called Gamaliel, he speaks up, he, he gives some argument why they should not uh, kill them. And, and so they, they left off with just getting beaten and they escaped death. So that's the second story. Um, What is going on? Sorry, my computer is giving me an issue. Anyway, let me try and fix this for a moment. Right, sorry. Um, yeah, so those are the two stories that we see. The story of Ananias and Sapphira, and then the account of the apostles before the Sanhedrin. And, and like I said, uh, these stories, they seem to be quite unlinked. And true enough, you can look at each of them um, individually and take many points from it as well. But today I would like us to look at these two accounts together and I want to anchor them around a key verse in Acts 5. And that key verse is verse 29. So in verse 29, um, Peter says, um, it says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And, and this is Peter, or this is the apostles' response to a question by the leaders, the authorities, uh, the Jewish authorities, why do you keep teaching even though last time already we told you not to, you know? And, and their response is, we must obey God rather than men. And, you know, at a basic level, I think this is a very uncontroversial statement for all of us here. Uh, I don't think as good Christians, any of us would dispute that. We're not going to say, oh, no, 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 this is wrong. In fact, I don't think the the Sanhedrin disputed it as well because, I mean, maybe they were, good. They were, they were Jewish and, and, and they probably had a different idea of whether Peter and, 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 and gang were like obeying God. But this, this statement is not that controversial. But what we know is that, you know, the challenge is not in accepting the statement with our heads or our minds, but it's really internal, internalizing it with our hearts and sort of having that translate into action. And to help us with this, I think it is worth asking a question that I don't think we'd usually ask, and that is why. Why should we obey God rather than men? And I think there are two reasons that comes out from X5 as to why we should. 
Now, the first reason is the awesomeness of God. And by the awesomeness of God, I'm referring to the fact of how God is just on a completely different level from man. He's almighty, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's timeless, he's holy. And all these things that man is not, he is. And these are the things that make him greater. And you know, um, we, we know that, right? There are many verses that attest to it. We would have all probably quoted at some point in our lives, Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Um, the book of Job has quite a few statements that talk about really how God is just completely on a different level. How great is our God? How great is God beyond our understanding? The number of his years um, is past finding out. Are your days as the days of man or are your days a man's years? They're not. And, and can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? These, these are some statements. And, and another one that we always think about when we talk about just how awesome God is, is when Isaiah is brought, brought before God and he says, Woe to me, I, uh, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And, and the Bible is full of verses that just attest to the awesomeness of God and, and really of his, of his majesty. Um, and in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we see that awesomeness again, although in a way that perhaps we might not like, you know, this is what some people call a, a judgment miracle. Ananias and Sapphira commit a sin and God dealt with them in an obviously supernatural way that demonstrates his power. And it highlights just how small man is compared to God. And that is why there was this great fear that, that, that gripped the church. Because, they, you know, there, there, there's this, there was this, um, it started with a sermon and people say, you know, um, uh, yeah, we are, I mean, yeah, anyway, you know, there's this great fear that um, gripped the whole church. And, and I don't think that this fear was, was this, this fear is, is, as far as I can read from Acts, it is treated positively. And it's not, I think, like my childish fear of ghosts or the dark. It is not also, I believe, a fear of punishment, like, like I had for my school teachers. But rather, it is really an appreciation of the awesomeness, the awe-inspiring holiness of God. It's about reverence to God, that we give him the respect he's due, that we respect his holiness. We do not make him into something smaller just so that he's something that is manageable or comfortable to us. And, and that actually is why in verse 4, um, Peter tells Ananias, you have not lied to man, but to God. And you know, um, the, the, the phrasing of this sentence, I think, is pretty interesting because you can see, like, on the screen, you know, this idea, it contrasts man with God, just like we, we did at the, at the, in verse 29 when it says, obey man rather than God. And, and there's a parallel there. And, and really, the, it's the idea that Ananias did not understand the gravity of what he was doing. He did not get the full picture. He did not see it. Seriously, he had forgotten the awesomeness of God. And, and Peter's statement is meant to highlight that. And a lot of times, I think, for ourselves, we just forget the scale of God, of how awesome he is, and we take it for granted. And, and why is that the case? You know, um, 
I think different people will give you different answers. Um, some people might say, you know, it's because nowadays we don't see as much miracles or we don't, or we, we need a greater move of the Holy Spirit. We need, we need signs and wonders. And I don't disagree with that. I, I am all for um, more, more works of the Holy Spirit in our church. I'm all for miracles. I'm all for healing. Um, but I don't think that goes to the issue because we have, we have seen it so many times where these things happen and yet sometimes, you know, we, we can grow cold. I think the issue is familiarity. It is routine. And, and we lose sight of the awesomeness of God because we just come, become so familiar with the motion surrounding Christianity. We become so familiar with certain passages in the Bible that we quote them without really thinking about what they mean. We become familiar with certain activities in the church and, and we forget the magnificence of these things. You know, around 10 years ago, I went, I visited Iceland and it was, I went in December. It was really in like the heart of winter. And one of the highlights of my trip was getting to see the Northern Lights. Um, for those who don't know, um, the Northern Lights are a natural phenomena that are caused by solar winds, which are like these charged particles that cause the sky to become colorful. Um, and yeah, uh, usually it's green, but sometimes it can become red or, or violet or, or, or blue. And, and I was not really sure whether I wanted to show a picture of it because to be absolutely frank, a picture does not do, do like the majesty of it justice. You know, um, when I stood there looking at the Northern Lights and, and, and you know, this is Iceland, it's a clear night sky. You could see almost like all the constellations um, out there and, and you just felt so small, just looking up into space. Um, and, and yeah, you know, it was, I recall that like, it was in the heart of winter. So, so like, it was like really cold. It was at the coast of Iceland. The wind was blowing and like, it was probably like minus 15, minus 20 degrees Celsius at least when you account for wind chill. So you can't really, even when you wear a jacket or you wear like gloves and, and stuff, you can't really stand out there for very long. But me and my friends, we were basically in a car and, and the heater was on and we just take turns going outside and, and staring at it for like five minutes or three minutes or until we cannot hunt the cold anymore. And then we run back into the car and, and we, we warm ourselves up and then we go out again and we just do that again and again because it was just so amazing. And, and we had a pretty good display of it. So like we got to see like, I, like normally they say it's quite rare that you get to see like the violet shades and stuff like that. But it was really, it was really, it was really amazing. And, and to me, like that was probably, yeah, I mean, when I was in Europe, doing my exchange in, uh, in, in Europe, I think that was probably one of the highlights. Now, the funny thing is that several, about a month or so later, I met up with this guy who was a friend of a friend. We, we were traveling in Europe as well. And, and he was actually doing his exchange in Iceland. And, and I told him, oh, yeah, I went to Iceland in December. It was great. I saw the Northern Lights. I just told him how amazing it was. That was like the highlight of my trip. And like, you know, of course he, he was being a nice guy and he like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's great and, and stuff. But after a while he told me, look, I actually see like the Northern Lights like every week, um, probably a few times a week. And like, so to me, it's just like something that is there, you know, it's like, like the sun or the sky. It's not something I really take note of. And, you know, I think the reality of it is for, for, for many of us, God becomes like that. We, we, we get, we just put him in the background of our lives and we don't, we forget really 
how some of these things are just so amazing and so great and, and the majesty and grandness of it all. It is not to do with the external, you see. The Northern Lights didn't change in any way. It is just as great. It's just, it has to do with our attitudes. And, and so I think we really need to take time on a regular basis to really pause and reflect on really who God is in our lives. Reflect on, on, on him. Did we discover that wonder of God. You know, when you read Bible passages like, like this one, or, or you read like Revelations and you, you, you see the description of Jesus, or, or things like, do, are you filled with the awesomeness of God? That's, that's my question today. Because a real understanding of that is one that, that really, it, it helps motivate us to really step out and move in obedience. And, and, and I just want to take some time to show us a short video, um, which, which maybe might be helpful to this. So just give me a second. Let's see if this works. Is that working? Why does it seem like it's not working? You know, I was studying just our Milky Way, just that galaxy that we live on. And I was reading about it this week, and it was explained that the shape of this galaxy we live in is it's like a pancake. It's like this, this big pancake with a bulge in the middle. And yesterday when I was making breakfast, I, I made a little replica of it. Um, this, this is not to scale. Okay, but uh, it's this whole idea of, okay, if this were our galaxy, that's pretty good, huh? Put a little golf ball in there and flipped it. Okay, if this were our galaxy, this, this is so fascinating. Okay, there's no, there's no, not even a chance that I could make a speck visible to the human eye to show us our whole solar system. Okay, there's no way that you would see our whole solar system, our sun, everything within this galaxy. Because you know how big this is? A light year, okay, a light year is traveling at the speed of light. The speed of light is 186,000 186, miles a second. Think about that. 186, if you could go 186,000 miles in one second, that's fast. 186,000 miles in a second, that's a light year. No, that's, that's, that's a speed of light. A light year is traveling at 186,000 miles a second for a whole year. Imagine how far you would go in one second, much less one year. That's a light year. Do you know how long it would take to get from one edge of our galaxy to the other? 100,000 light years. So to get from this edge to this edge, you would have to travel at 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years. You just go, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's, what that's how long it would take to get from one edge to a galaxy to the other. So imagine how fast you would pass the Earth within the first fraction of a second as the Earth is just a few thousand miles in diameter. 
I mean, you, you can't even measure that within a second. And you're going to travel for 100,000 years at the speed of light to get from one edge to the other. There's no way you would see our earth, that our earth is buried in this somehow. And the last scene where I showed you were the, the, all those galaxies. Do you know how many of these things are out there? They're estimating about 350 billion. 350 billion galaxies. And we're buried as this tiny planet inside of one of these. And God says, I've set my glory above the heavens. Are you fascinated by what I made? You should see me. The God who created all of this. See, and it blows me away how people will walk in here and think they're big. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Okay. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I know his definition of light year was slightly wrong, but uh, I, I think you still get the, the point. All right, wait, let me just get my slides back up. No, that's not working. I'm really bad at this. So, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. And and so today in our CGs, I really just, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope you enjoyed it and you appreciated it and, and the point that he was making. And I encourage us to just pray um, for one another just to, to really, I mean, you can share and you can pray to have this understanding of, of really the bigness of God and, and, and how awesome he really is. Um, I mean, I think there's, there's so much I can say about it, but it's not something that we can really bang into our heads. I think it's something that needs to be revealed to us. And I, and I it's about our posture before God. I encourage us to keep going before God and, and asking Him to show us more of Him um, and take time to pause and to reflect on, on these things. And I, I believe that as, as we do, He will reveal Himself. He, he draws near um, as we draw near. And, and so, so, so that, that's my, what, what I encourage us to do today. Um, before I move on to the next point, I want to make two notes. And, and, and the first is just on this whole thing about Ananias and Sapphira. And I don't want us to go away thinking, oh my gosh, God is going to kill me or punish me severely when I, when I do something wrong. Um, and I said, the response is not one about a fear of punishment, but it's having the right attitude and reverence for God. And, and as, as I mentioned, this, this story of Ananias and Sapphira is pretty unique in the context of the New Testament. And, and, you know, different people have different reasons to say why it's there. But, but um, to me, I think it had a lot to do with that this was the birth of the church and, and some serious action needed to be taken to make sure that, that things were right and, and, and that the, the, the things that Ananias and Sapphira were doing risked sort of destabilizing this, this early church. And so, so that's why God um, acted the way he did. But when you look at the Bible as a whole, uh, you really see that God is a merciful and, 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 and forgiving God. He's not a harsh, harsh master. 
Now, he is still God. That's the point that I want to make. You know, he is still God, but he is there to embrace us when we fail and, and when we go before him uh, seeking seeking forgiveness or seeking. That, that's what Jesus came to do. So I, I just wanted to, to say that uh, uh, as the first thing. And, and the second thing is that, uh, as a side point, sort of, and that actually when you look at Ananias, and, I, and this is sort of contradicts what I said earlier, it's not really that he forgot the awesomeness of God, but it seemed like he... <laughs> Hi, Gabriel. Um, uh, it seems like he, he really forgot the awesomeness of, of God's work. Um, and, and that is why Peter had to tell him what you're doing, what you're disrupting. You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. is God's work. And, and I invite us to consider this point as well, because uh, I think that some of us, we might, we might, yeah, we might recognize what God is and who he is. But when it comes to church or, or the work that we're doing, we forget really that we are in service of the king. And this is, this is, this is big stuff in a certain way. Uh, not, not to say that, that you know, um, again, that we need to be afraid of it, but that, that we, are, we are really honored to be part of, of, of what God, what the creator of the universe is doing. And, and so um, let's not box it up into something that is, is smaller than what it is, but let's, let's appreciate the reality of the situation. And then actually, I think that, will, that flows into my second point. Um, because the, the next thing that I want us to know, or the next reason that I would say that we should obey God rather than man, is because of the assurance of God. And by this, I mean the idea that is captured in Acts 5, um, verses 34 to 39. You see, like I said, the Sanhedrin, they wanted to put the apostles to death. In verse 33, it says they, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. That means the Sanhedrin was furious and they wanted to put the apostles to death. Um, the reason they did not was because there was this guy, Gamaliel, and what he said was very interesting. We see in verse 35, he says, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Titus appeared claiming to be somebody. And for about 400 and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. And you know, once again, that last part, when we look at it, we see that contrast again, right? This, 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 how the Luke is juxtaposing, how he's comparing, you know, what is of God and what is of man. Just like he said, we've got to obey God rather than man. You have lied to God, not man. And now we see this activity is of God or of man. 
And, and I think for a lot of us, we'd immediately recognize the big picture of this. Ultimately, the, the church thrived. And, and based on uh, this guy's Gamaliel's own test, it shows that the church was really established by God. I mean, and that's probably the reason uh, why Luke includes this, this, this sort of um, what, what, what Gamaliel said here. Um, but, you know, I think it's good to, to pry a bit deeper and to flesh out um, what this really means by pointing a few things out. Now, the first thing is that from the Pharisees' perspective, to me, when you look at it from a human perspective, what he said just makes completely no sense. Here are the leaders of this new movement, which you don't like, who are before you. You don't want this movement to continue. You have the means of getting rid of them. You, you could put them to death, and you just say, let it be. Now, you know, some, some people say, he, he, he was just a nice guy. He, he didn't want to unnecessarily kill people. He felt sorry for these men. Uh, others say that he was secretly a Christian. Um, you know, it could be. I don't know. It, none of that was recorded, however. And even so, for him to convince his fellow members of the Sanhedrin with these words and this argument, to me, is a bit puzzling, you know? Like, it doesn't make any sense from a human perspective. And so we have this interesting situation here where the apostles completely at their mercy, but yet they were delivered by a strange twist. And I believe that was caused by God, you know? And, and, and so keep that in mind. That, that's the situation we have here. Now, the second thing to keep in mind is really what happened after all of this. You see, obviously, like I said, Luke's reason for highlighting this is to show that, look, the church continued to thrive. And and at the time that Luke was rising, the, uh, writing this, it had grown from the situation that it had in, um, the, or rather what it was since X5. Um, you know, um, and... We, we, and that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see, you know, the, the, the gospel reach the Gentiles. We see the missionary journeys that, that bring the gospel all around. And we see churches being set up. But, you know, I don't know if Luke fully understood the prophetic and powerful statement that, is, that this is. Because, you know, when, at the time he wrote this, yes, the church had grown, but it was still constantly being oppressed. Uh, its leaders were being thrown in prison. Paul was thrown in prison. Its leaders were being killed. Christians were being killed and martyred. And it is only about four centuries later, with the rise of this guy called Constantine, that things really changed. And, 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 and Constantine, he was an emperor. Um, oh, yeah. So I'll just put that verse there. And Constantine was an emperor. He was a, he was a Roman emperor. And, and you know, um, he was actually a pagan. He, he, he worshipped the, the sun god. Um, but he, the, I mean, okay, you, there, there are different historians might say different things about this, but, but the, the story is that when he was going out uh, to battle one day, he saw in the sky um, above the sun a cross. And, 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 so, and, and also the words, the, the, the Roman words, uh, in this sign, conquer. And so later that night, he had a dream. And, and in that dream, so Jesus appeared to him and said, you know, uh, you should use this sign of the cross. And so what he did is he marked all his soldiers' shields with a cross. And the next day, he had an overwhelming victory. And, and so as, when he became emperor, um, 
he was really very favorable towards Christianity and a lot of changes happened. Um, you know, like, like they just stopped killing Christians. They even started, you know, giving them more rights and, and, and things like that. And, 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 it, and it continued. And this was really the turning point from where, you know, the rest of Europe, Christianity spread to the rest of Europe and, and, and to the rest of the world. And, and, you know, if you take this at this point, you just go back four centuries to, to, to these, these apostles before the Sanhedrin, completely at the mercy of these Jewish leaders. It's just mind-blowing. It's like such a world of a difference. And we just see how powerful that statement is because all that transpired in history just really establishes the truth or it, it sort of proves the truth behind Gamaliel's statement that if this is of God, it cannot be stopped. God's plans cannot be frustrated. Uh, he, is, he is supreme. And, and, I, and I encourage us to reflect on that. And uh, that's the second thing I encourage us to reflect on because, you know, it is this belief, this faith that anchors our actions. Um, we need to understand just how much in control God is. We just need to understand just how God has a plan and how he has won the victory already. And so when we pray, we pray boldly, you know, when, whether it's for the salvation of our friends, whether it's for, for the church, whether it's for issues in our society, um, we should pray boldly with, with that assurance uh, that we know that the victory is won. And we, we should have that in mind when we, when we obey God, because there really is no fear of man. There's nothing that we have, just like the apostles before the Sanhedrin. And I just want to point one more thing out from this. Um, even though I say, you know, look, there's this assurance, this assurance that we have won the victory, this assurance that God's plans will come true. It did not mean that the apostles did not, or rather the apostles got off scot-free. Because if you read that passage, if you read the end of Acts 5, they were actually um, beaten. And let me just... And they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And, and you know, the apostles were beaten. They suffered for his name. And, and, but the thing is that, look at what it says. It says they rejoice that they were found worthy to suffer for, for the name. And, and I think it sort of goes back to the first point I mentioned, right? About really understanding the awesomeness of God. The apostles, they, they knew that none of these sufferings they face affected the reality of God's victory. It affected what was going to happen. They, and they counted worthy because they knew they were serving the creator of the universe. They had a completely clear picture of their mission and, and where it's today. They understood that, you know? And, and so it, it, comes, it comes back to this. And, and why do we obey God rather than man? Again, firstly, the awesomeness of God. He just deserves that. And secondly, the assurance of God, because we don't have to fear anything else. It, it works out in the end. And, and, and some of these two things bring me back to where I started today's sermon with. And that is the idea of fear. And, and what we need to obey God rather than man is really a fear of God rather than man. And when I say a fear of God, I don't mean, you know, that fear that God's going to wreck a plague or something like that, but really an understanding of who he is and a reverend and reverend awe of the all-powerful, almighty God. Don't box God up. And, and we do not fear men, 
because we are assured that this God is so much greater than anything that the world can, can throw against us. We are assured that we have the victory and, and we are assured that his plans cannot be frustrated. So my prayer today is really that, that you know, in our CGs and as we go home, we just reflect on this. We, we take out our Bibles, we read it. And I just pray that God speaks to us and that this really transforms our hearts and, and that we internalize it. And we increase our appreciation of really how awesome a God we serve and, and how full his assurance is um, for his plans and for his people. So, so that's really the sermon. Uh, let me just close in prayer and uh, then I'll hand it back. Father, you, you are really almighty and, and, and worthy to be praised and, and really no eye has seen, no ear has heard what, what you have in store, Lord. And I just want to pray right now that as we break up into CGs, as we look at your word further and as we reflect on what is said, we take time to think about you, Lord. Your, your spirit will speak to us and your spirit will open up our hearts to receive from you the revelation that, that you have for us today, Lord. I pray that, that, that you know you grip our minds, you renew our minds to think right about you and to think right about your work and your mission and, and our place here in the world. And, and I pray that we'll be, we'll be able to take these things, and these are not things that we just hear today and forget tomorrow, but really in the week ahead that we'll apply it into our lives and, and, um, and go on ahead in your name, just as the apostles did back um, back in in the, in the first century, so um, that's right in, in the yeah in, in in the early church. So I just thank you and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.